You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. We pray this message encourages you today. Thanks for listening. Well, today we're wrapping up the series that we've been in for the past several weeks called Exiles in Hope. What we've been doing is we've been teaching through the New Testament book of 1 Peter, which is actually a letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to Christians who were living scattered throughout the various provinces of Asia Minor in the Roman Empire. And they were experiencing some difficult times. They were experiencing persecution and suffering and a lot of hostility from their pagan, unbelieving neighbors. And into this context, Peter writes this anointed letter to encourage them, to help them live out their faith. And uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 2,000 years later, there's been so much in this letter for you and me, and I hope it's been a blessing to you. Now, hold that thought for just a moment. Speaking of blessings, do we have any football fans in the house who are just a little bit excited for the return of football? Can I get an amen? I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. Amen. (laughs) A few of you in this place. Speaking of football, uh, I recently watched a documentary on Netflix called Johnny Football. Uh, by the way, viewer discretion is advised. It has a little bit of a language in it, okay? It's not as bad as half the other shows that most of y'all are watching on Netflix, I'm just saying. But I watched this documentary called Johnny Football, and it's all about a quarterback named Johnny Manziel. And if you follow uh, football, you remember that name from a few years ago. He actually played quarterback at Texas A&M uh, back in 2012 and 13, and then he got uh, drafted by the Cleveland Browns and played there briefly for, for two years. And spoiler alert, spoiler alert, it's a tragic story because Johnny Manziel had a meteoric rise, but he did not finish well, if you know anything about his career. So he was a highly nationally recruited quarterback out of the state of Texas. By, I think, his like sophomore year in high school, he got this nickname, uh, Johnny Football. The sports writer started calling him that. And so he ends up at Texas A&M. And in his freshman year, he has this amazing year. He sets all kind of records, breaks all kind of records. He's the first freshman quarterback to ever throw for 3,000 yards, rush for 1,000 yards. He wins the Heisman, the award for the best college football player his freshman year. That had never happened before. He wins the Manning Award for the best quarterback, several other awards for best quarterback. And so he's only at Texas A&M for two years. By the way, he's so popular, he causes the whole football program to become so popular at A&M, they actually build an addition onto the stadium, okay? Amazing guy. After two years, He gets drafted in the first round of the NFL draft, goes to the Cleveland Browns, and completely fizzles out. He doesn't work hard. He doesn't watch film. He can't handle the pressure. He's partying and getting in trouble off the field. He gets arrested, and within two years, he's out of the NFL. Tragic story. Talk about somebody who started fast but didn't finish strong. Now, what's the point? Today, we're going to look at the last chapter of 1 Peter. And in Peter's closing notes in chapter 5, you you get the sense that he's like a a coach who wants the team to finish strong. You know, I want you to picture the apostle Peter today like the coach with the whistle around his neck wanting the team to finish strong. I coached football for a little while, and there's this thing you do when you get to the fourth quarter at the end of the game. Everybody puts their hands up, right? Fourth quarter, it's kind of like a symbol to everybody on the team. Come on, it's the fourth quarter. We got to finish strong. We got to tap into to, to, to all of that, you know, work that we've done throughout the season and all the conditioning. We got to finish strong. Let me show you an example, okay? We're going to fast forward right to the very end of the chapter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. Here's what he says. He says, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Read this last phrase with me. Stand fast in it. 
Stand fast in it. Peter says, stand firm. I want you to finish strong. Hey, team, I want you to finish strong. And notice Peter doesn't say, we finish strong by trying really hard. He doesn't say we finish strong by psyching ourselves up and practicing positive psychology. What does he say? He says, it's the grace of God, the true grace of God that I've described to you all throughout this letter. Stand fast in that. If you're looking for a source of strength, he keeps pointing the believers and pointing you and me back to Jesus Christ. And so here's the big idea today, church. We finish strong by standing firm in the grace of God. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? The scripture says his mercies are made new every morning. I'm thankful for my new daily distribution of God's grace today. Church, lean into it. Peter would say, lean into the person of Jesus Christ. Lean into the grace of God. And so today I wanna give you some coaching tips for finishing strong, okay? Are you ready? Let's take some notes today. We're gonna finish out the book of 1 Peter and, and, and he wants us to finish strong. He's writing into this context of Christians who are suffering, who need encouragement. And I believe there's something for us today. So here's, here's a couple tips, a couple coaching tips for finishing strong from 1 Peter chapter five. Here's the first one, number one. Peter says, lead and serve like Jesus. You want to finish strong? You want to lean into the grace of God to give you the power to live out your faith? Peter says, lead and serve like Jesus. Let's look at this. First Peter chapter 5, first five verses. He says, to the elders among you, that would be the leaders, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings. Peter was there. He walked with Jesus. He was at the crucifixion. And a witness of Christ's sufferings who, are all, who, who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus Christ, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders." Peter says, lead and serve like Jesus. Now, I'm always preaching to myself. In fact, quite often when people thank me for the message, I say, well, thank you. I'm always preaching to myself. I'm glad I blessed you. I'm always preaching to myself. But today, especially at this point in these verses, I'm really preaching to myself because these verses are primarily addressed to the leadership of the church. He's writing to the leaders. And so listen up this morning, especially if you are a leader in our church, if you're on staff, if you're a trustee, if you're a small group leader, if you're a team leader, heck, if you're on the dream team, you're a servant leader, okay? I want you to, to listen, especially all of you. These verses are for you. And here's what Peter says. Peter says, if you're gonna serve in the church in any capacity, in any role, here's how I want you to lead. I want you to lead like Jesus. Lead like Jesus. Look at verse two. He said, be shepherds of God's flock. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. He says that, that one day when the chief shepherd appears, you're gonna receive the crown of glory for your faithfulness. One day, the ultimate leader, the supreme leader is going to return. And guess what he is? He is the chief shepherd. Now, why a shepherd? I know we as modern day people, we're not very much in touch with, you know, agriculture and farming. Well, 
Sheep need a shepherd because sheep can wander and get lost. They need someone to guide them. Sheep can get attacked and like killed by a wild animal like a wolf, right? So what does a shepherd do? A shepherd loves and cares for and guides the flock because the flock needs that, needs to be, to be led lovingly. And so notice Peter gives us three characteristics of Jesus-style leadership. Now, I'm speaking primarily, and Peter is primarily speaking to the leaders in the church, but I bet you there's something in here for everybody in this place. If you're a parent, if you're a leader in the workplace, if you're in management, if you're a business owner, Peter gives three characteristics of Jesus-style leadership. Here's the first one. He says, a willing spirit. Look at this, verse two. Not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. In other words, we don't serve in the church. We don't lead in the church out of obligation, but out of a sense of calling and willingness, recognizing that as we serve people, we're ultimately serving God. Oh, we got to be reminded of that sometimes because sometimes serving people isn't easy. If you're doing it for the people, you will eventually get disappointed. All the leaders can nod your head because you know what I'm talking about. We, we serve as unto the Lord. So we do it with a willing spirit. Then Peter says we do it out of a motivation to give and not to get. Come on, Jesus-style leadership. Jesus-style leaders understand that it's about giving, not getting. Verse 2, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. It's not about what you can get out of it. You know, I don't know anybody on our paid staff at our church who got into ministry for the money to get rich. (laughs) There is nobody on our church staff. In fact, they all give back financially to the church. I'm thankful that the church board pays me a salary so I can afford to live in Westchester and be your pastor. But let me tell you, every move I've ever made in ministry almost always involved a pay cut. When we first got here 10 years ago, we had to raise our own salary to get this church started. Peter says, Jesus-style leadership is not about what you can get. It's about what you can give. And let me just tell you, most of the leaders in our church are volunteers who give of their time every week. Can we just stop and celebrate them and thank them this morning for the way they give of themselves so you can be blessed and received? Talking about Jesus-style leadership, Peter says, here's the other thing. A Jesus-style leader has a servant's heart, a servant's heart. Look at verse 2. Not lording it over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. In other words, if you're a leader in the church, you didn't get into leadership for position or title. Like that, that's the way the world operates. That's the way the fallen world thinks about leadership. No, no, you signed up to serve. Let me give you this example, okay? When I got ordained years ago by my home denomination, the Assemblies of God, on the day that I got ordained, they gave me a towel. They didn't give me the keys to a Mercedes, They gave me a towel to remind me to serve. And it was a cheap towel. I'm pretty sure they stole it from Holiday Inn. It wasn't even fancy, okay? (laughs) Why? Because Jesus, on the night of the Last Supper, what did he do? He got down and he said, I'm going to show the apostles. I'm going to show my disciples what it looks like to lead in the kingdom of God. And what did he do? He got down and he washed the apostles' feet. He washed the disciples' feet. He said, I'm conferring on you a kingdom. And in this kingdom, in this kingdom, you lead by serving. So they gave me a towel to remind me that it's my job to, to lead like Jesus with a servant's heart. Now, you might not be a leader in our church today, but how many of you think that your life and the lives of the people around you would be a lot better if we had more servant leaders like Jesus in our companies, in our homes? Hello, if you're a parent, come on, how many of you think the atmosphere of your home would be better if you led your family and led your kids a little bit more like Jesus? If you're a business owner, if you're in a management role, how would you like to have Jesus as your CEO? Well, guess what? You get to be Jesus in the workplace. Come on, you get to care for people, not exploit people, not use people, 
Not be heavy, top-down leadership. That's the way the world operates. Every one of you, especially if you're in the marketplace, you have an opportunity to be a breath of fresh air everywhere you go and lead like Jesus. Care for people. Shepherd people. Can I challenge you? You may have never thought of yourself that way before. I know it's a little bit of a, of a, of a stretch from where the text is today because he's talking about leaders in the church. But if you're in the business place, can I challenge you to become a shepherd in the marketplace and begin caring for people around you? They will take notice. And you will create a, a healthy atmosphere in your workplace. Now, Peter goes on to address other people in the church. He starts off by addressing the leaders, the pastors, the elders. Then he addresses the responsibility of those who are led. Look at verse 5. He says, in the same way, in other words, in the same spirit of submission to Christ. Remember, we've been talking about that for weeks now, right? All of this, this, the way we're loving and treating each other, all of this is a reflection of our submission to Christ. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. So Peter challenges the leaders to lead well, but then he goes on to challenge the rest of the believers to follow well. He says, I want your leaders to lead well, and I want the followers to follow well, especially if you're younger. Now, what does it mean to submit yourself? What are we talking about here in the biblical sense? Well, biblical submission is about voluntarily placing yourself under the leadership that God has ordained for your life, okay? That God has appointed for your life. This isn't about coercion. This isn't about power place. This isn't about allowing yourself to be controlled by people who want to manipulate you. No, no, no. This is recognizing that, that God has created structure and order in the church, and he wants us to flourish. And so we voluntarily place ourselves in a place of submission to where we honor those that God has placed in our life as leaders. And guess what? This is how how you grow spiritually. If God has created the church this way and designed it this way for us to grow spiritually, if we don't do it God's way, we're missing out on something that God has for us. And here's the sad truth. So many Christians are not truly submitted to anybody's leadership in their life. I know some of y'all say, no, pastor, but you're my pastor. I'm here. I listen to your messages. Oh, there's a lot of people who like me, to, to like having me as their pastor until they come to me for advice and I tell them something and they don't like the answer. You know, you know, they're asking me about a decision and, well, let's open God's word. Should I move in with my boyfriend who's not a believer? Let's open God's word and see what it has to say. Do I really have to forgive that person who wronged me? Let's open God's word and see what it has to say. Do I really have to give generously? Let's open God's word and see what it has to say. All of a sudden, they want a second opinion. And they're gone. Oh, it happens all the time. And, and we're laughing, but the reality is, is, is Christians do this and they bounce from place to place and they never grow spiritually. They stay stuck at the same level because there are no do-it-your-own, do-it-by-yourself maverick Christians in Scripture. That's not what we see. We see Peter saying, no, no, if you want to grow, the blessing lives in submission. You got to get accountable to somebody. You need this for your soul. You might say, well, Pastor Jeremy, who are you accountable to? I'm in a group of other pastors regularly. I meet monthly with a group of pastors. I'm in a brotherhood group. We pray for each other. We confess to each other. I have overseer pastors whose job it is to shepherd my soul. I was on the phone with one of them this week, and we were checking in, and I was sharing how I'm doing. He was, he was counseling me, encouraging me. So we all need accountability to flourish. And so biblical submission is, is a blessing. And I know some of you come from maybe a church where you got hurt. I know some of you, maybe you've been under leadership that wasn't healthy, where people took advantage of you or they were heavy handed. And I'm sorry 
if you experience that. But can I just tell you, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> because when you experience healthy accountability, healthy leadership, come on, in the spirit of shepherding your heart, wanting what's best for you. How many of you know that's a blessing? And it's worth holding out for that. It's worth not giving up on what God has ordained for us so that we can thrive and be blessed. Amen? Here's the second thing. Come on, we're giving you some coaching tips today. I'm coaching you up today. The apostle Peter's got his whistle around his neck. He's got his hand up. It's the fourth quarter. I want you to finish strong. Keep your eyes on the prize. Number two, you got to embrace humility. Embrace humility. Everybody say humility. Look at this. First Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. How many of you want the favor of God? I, I don't know about you. I don't want God opposing me. I want to be wherever his favor is. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. That's actually a quote from Proverbs chapter 3. Look at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I love this word picture that Peter gives us. He says, clothe yourselves with humility. See, this, this is such a great word picture because how we dress is part of how we present ourselves to other people. Come on, this is the New York City area. We're a little fashion conscious around here. You guys, I see you. You look good. You come in looking good on Sunday. Like we want to present ourselves in a, in a very presentable, good-looking way to other people, right? That wins their favor. We want to appeal to people in a good way. Well, guess what? Humility, Peter says humility should be the way you clothe yourself, the way you present yourself to other people. It's an inside-out characteristic. It's something you develop on the inside, but it's presented on the outside in the way you relate to people. Now, what is biblical, biblical humility? Is it walking around beating yourself up and making less of yourself? And is that actually true? Let me just give you a couple ideas. Biblical humility is having the right opinion of yourself, okay? Being honest about your strengths and weaknesses, not underestimating yourself, not thinking too lowly of yourself, but not thinking too highly of yourself. An honest opinion of yourself is dependence on God. That's a great source of humility, recognizing daily dependence on God. And it's a genuine focus on others. In fact, I love what Pastor Tim Keller once said, he said, if you met a truly humble person, you wouldn't think him or her humble, but happy and incredibly interested in you. Oh, I love that. You ever met a humble person? They were just a good listener, just interested in you. I can think of certain friends who really embody humility and they live that quote out. So Peter goes on to say this. Well, let me give you this practical application. Let me give you a practical application for developing humility, okay? This is gonna help you. Compare yourself to Jesus rather than comparing yourself to other people. That's some perspective. <laughs> we like to compare ourselves to other people naturally, subconsciously, to kind of see our strengths and feel better about ourselves. Compare yourself to Jesus Christ rather than comparing yourself to other people, and that'll give you some perspective on humility. That'll give you some fresh perspective. All right, Peter goes on to say this in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. He says, choose to humble yourself. Trust in the mighty hand of God. Remember, he's writing to people who are experiencing persecution, who are experiencing hostility. It would be easy to take matters into their own hands. It would be easy to, to, to try to lash back out at, at people around them. He says, no, no, humble yourselves and, and, trust, and trust your life into God's mighty hand. In other words, you can either choose humility or you can be humbled. How many of you have enough life experience to know that eventually life 
will find ways to humble you in some way. I wonder if we have any seasoned people, wise people who have lived a little life experience to know that, that life has a way of deflating your balloon every now and then. And so here's what Peter's saying. He says, you can either intentionally embrace humility, you can humble yourself before God or prepare to be humiliated. And here's the good thing. When you, when you humble yourself under God's mighty hand, you can trust that he's the one who will lift you up. He will lift you up. He will lift you up. And then he goes on to say this in verse seven, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You can trust him. You can cast your anxiety, your worries, your doubts, your fear on our good shepherd because he's the one who cares for us. And you know, this to me ties in with humility because humility is admitting that we don't have it all together and that we, we need someone to shoulder our anxieties. You know, the world tells us we have to project strength all the time. We have to project confidence all the time. We have to project that we have it all together. Peter says, no, no, you can, you can humble yourself. You can cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You know, when my kids were really little, I remember they used to hand things to me that were heavy. Hey, dad, can you carry this thing for me? Right? Would you carry this? Or sometimes when they were tired, literally they'd put their hands up, dad, can you carry me? You know, I would be walking in the city or in the park somewhere and I'd be carrying one of my boys. I can't do that anymore. They're too big. They would kill my back. <laughs> but, you know, I kind of miss those days when they were dependent on me like that, when they would just lift their hands up and say, Dad, carry me. I I'm tired. Come on, that's a picture of humility. Humility is admitting when you need God to carry you. God, I'm admitting I'm at the end of my rope. God, I'm admitting I don't have enough strength. God, I'm admitting I don't have it all together, but I trust that you are my good shepherd. I can cast all my anxiety on you because you care for me. In a world that tells us we have to have it all together all the time, the word of God, Peter's reminding us today that we can, we can, we can cast our anxieties on him. We can put our lives in his hands because he cares for us. Amen? And then here's the third thing. Peter's coaching us to finish, to finish strong. He's coaching these believers. I want you to finish strong in the face of whatever you're going through in life. Number three is keep your guard up. Come on, turn to your neighbor, tell him, keep your guard up. Come on, just kind of lift your shoulder a little bit. Keep, keep your guard up, keep your guard up, keep your guard up. Look at this, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 through 9. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of of sufferings. Peter says, be alert, keep your guard up, keep your guard up. Now, several times over the past few weeks, as we've been journeying through this letter, Peter has reminded the believers to stay alert. In chapter one, verse 13, he said, have minds that are fully alert and sober. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at chapter four, verse seven. He says, therefore be clear-minded and self Control. If Peter is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he keeps coming back to the same idea, I think maybe we should take notice, just maybe the Holy Spirit is trying to get a message to us today to wake up, be on your guard, stay alert. Why? Because Peter says the devil is like a lion who's on the prowl looking for someone to devour. How many of you have ever seen those videos like on National Geographic of a lion prowling for its prey? You ever seen those videos, right? And a lion, even though he's this big, ferocious animal, 
they get down low to the ground. I was just watching a video this week, you know, on National Geographic. These lions were stalking some, some warthogs. They get down low to the ground. They creep quietly. They don't make a noise, right? And then they have the element of surprise. Then they pounce on, on their prey. And I was watching these lions stalk these warthogs. And, and by the time the hogs realized the lions were there, it was like too late. You know, they tracked one down and, and ate it. And Peter says, this is the picture. This is what your enemy, the enemy of your soul is like a lion on the prowl. Peter is telling us the devil, Satan is a schemer. He's a schemer. Like his number one tactic is disguise and deceit. So often we don't recognize his work and he likes it that way. He likes the element of surprise. He likes deceit. He likes disguise. In fact, uh, the 19th century French poet Charles Baudelaire said this, the greatest trick the devil has ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. That's his greatest tactic is just to convince you that he doesn't exist. And so often we don't even see his work in our lives. He does his best work in disguise. And I'm not telling you to overcorrect because I think we can go one of two extremes. Some of us can see the devil everywhere, you know? I didn't get a good parking spot. The devil is against me. And like, no, it's just the parking lot's full, right? You know, I got a flat tire. The devil is against me. Um, I'm not saying like we can end up giving the devil too much credit. You can be so obsessed with the devil that you blame him for everything. No, <laughs> sometimes you just made a bad decision, okay? But I can tell you, we, we most often probably as modern day, rational Western people, we most often overcorrect the other way and just don't even believe that he exists. While he's at work, tempting us, scheming, shaping our values, influencing us in this fallen culture that we're living in. And Peter says, you got to wake up and recognize that you're always under the influence of something. Oh, let me say that to you again, church. You are always under the influence of something. You're either under the influence of the Holy Spirit or you're under the influence of this fallen world. And we are living and breathing and swimming in the oxygen of this fallen world. And so we have to continually turn to the well of the Holy Spirit to renew our minds, to guide our paths. Be alert, wake up, keep your guard up. Verse nine, he says, resist him, standing firm in faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is un undergoing the same kind of, of sufferings. See, one of the tactics of the enemy is to get you isolated and to get you believing that you're the only person experiencing what you're experiencing. That's quite often what I've seen. So often he wants us to be isolated and believe I'm the only person experiencing this temptation. I'm the only experience, person experiencing this kind of difficulty, this kind of brokenness. And the reality is when we get together with other believers and we recognize that other believers are also going through what we're going through, I have found that the power of the enemy is broken. This is why we need each other. This is why we have to confess our sins one to another, as scripture says. This is why you need to be in a life group, need to be on a team, need somebody praying for you, need some believers in your life. Because the minute you begin to share your experience, it's like the devil is exposed and his power is broken. Have you experienced this before? It, to, to find out that someone else is walking through what you're walking through, and all of a sudden you know that you're not alone. And here's the beautiful thing. This command comes with a promise. Look at verses 10 through 11. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. That's a good place to say amen. Peter says, God will strengthen you. God will restore you. It may be on the last day. 
And maybe on the day that he returns and you stand before him, it may be a breakthrough in your life right now. But either way, we hold on to the hope of a God who is at work in our lives, who will reveal himself. He's the one who will make us strong and firm and steadfast. And guess what? He did it for the very people that Peter's writing to, who had it a lot worse than you and me. We're having, we might be having some bad days and going through stuff, and most of you, nobody's trying to kill you because you're a Christian, okay? These people were going through it, and Peter wrote to them, and he encouraged them, and they held firm in the power of God, and eventually these Christians saturated the Roman Empire and changed the world. You want to know what, what even Peter couldn't imagine as he was writing this letter from Rome to these persecuted Christians? He couldn't imagine this that one day there would be a church this grand in Rome named St. Peter's Basilica. Come on, get your head around this. Get your head around this. How could Peter ever imagine? I went to Rome last year. Peter, who was martyred at the hands of, an, of a ruthless emperor, a ruthless Caesar named Nero, who persecuted Christians. Peter, who's writing from the hotbed of persecution to Christians who are being persecuted. How could he ever imagine that one day, one of the grandest structures in all of Rome would bear his name? How could these Christians ever realize who were suffering, who were marginalized? How could they know that within a few decades, within a few centuries, these Christians would spread all throughout the Roman Empire and that Christianity would become the state religion and paganism would fade to the sidelines and it would be something that we only read about in mythology in junior high. Do you see it? Do you see it? This works. The gospel works. Grace works. The strength of the grace of God works in our lives. I don't know what you're going through today, church, but here's what I know. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Somebody came to church to hear that today. Somebody came to church to hear that today. And let me just read to you 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12 again. We started with this. Let's come full circle and look at verse 12. He says, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Everything that he has described all throughout the letter, all throughout these past few weeks, this is the true grace of God. Church, stand fast in it. Stand fast in it. Stand firm in it. You're going through some kind of difficulty right now in your life. Stand fast in it. You're in a difficult marriage right now. Stand fast in the grace of God. You're experiencing brokenness in some relationships. Stand fast in it. Going through a financial trial right now. Need the provision of God. Stand fast in the grace of God. Experiencing physical sickness. Need the healing touch of God. Stand fast in the grace of God, experiencing anxiety, stress, worry, doubt, fear. Stand fast in the grace of God. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Come on, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore you and make you strong. I can't fully explain why God allows us to walk through everything that we walk through. I know we live in a fallen world, a sinful world, a world that is broken and is not as God intended it to be. But here's what I also know. We trust in a God who we believe is ultimately working out his redemptive purposes for our lives. That's what we hold on to. 
We hold on to an eternal perspective. And here's the reality. Sometimes we feel like exiles in this world. Sometimes we go through seasons of life where we don't even understand. We don't even understand. We don't even feel at home in this, this broken world. Like why are things like they are? Why is it so hard sometimes? Some of you are in the, in the midst of a, of a season like that right now. But here's what I know. We're exiles in hope. We're exiles in hope. We hold on. We're anchored to the hope of Jesus Christ. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. Peter told us earlier in, in, in chapter one, he says, we've been born again into a living hope. We hold on to a God who is making all things new. We hold on to a God when we get to the end of the New Testament in the book of Revelation, a Jesus who says, I'm gonna wipe away every tear from your eyes. It's not gonna be any more suffering. It's not gonna be any more death. Those things are gonna pass away. Behold, I make all things new. That is the God that we trust in, a God who is working out his purposes in this world, bringing about his redemptive plan. We live in that grace. And one day he is going to return to finish the work that he began. And so we hold on to that hope. We have a present deposit of a future hope and we hold on to it. We hold on to a church, stand firm in the grace of of God. It's the grace of God that will power you. It's the grace of God that will strengthen you. It's the grace of God that will keep you. So would you stand to your feet this morning all over this place in a posture of prayer? Would you just lift your hands and open your heart and receive afresh from the Holy Spirit today the outpouring of his grace over your life? Just stand with me if you're comfortable. Just open, just lift your hands if you're new to our church. All throughout scripture it says lifting holy hands. This isn't anything new. It's biblical. Just lift your hands in a moment of surrender. God, we're receiving your grace afresh into our lives today. God, we need you. Lord, today we recognize that we're not strong enough. We don't have all the answers. We don't have it all figured out. And in a moment of just openness and vulnerability before you today, Father God, we lift our hands and our hearts to you today and we say, God, we need you. God, we need your grace. God, we need a fresh infusion of, of your hope. Lord, today we wanna do what we heard from your word today. We wanna lead like Jesus. We wanna be more like you, Jesus. In the church, in our homes, in the workplace, we wanna be more like you. We wanna love people better, but we wanna embrace humility. We recognize that we're all gonna go through seasons of life that humble us, but Lord, instead, we choose to humble ourselves before you. We embrace humility to stop comparing ourselves to people, to compare ourselves to Jesus. And Lord, today, we wanna be awake. We wanna be alert. We wanna recognize that we live in a world that has fallen. We live in a world that is, that is so often broken. There's beautiful things, but Lord, there's so many temptations, so much suffering and hurt. And at times, Lord, we don't even feel at home in this place. But God, we thank you that our ultimate home is with you. And we look forward to the day when there'll be a new heavens and a new earth because God, you are making all things new. So Lord, help us to stay alert today to continue to be influenced under the influence of your Holy Spirit who renews our minds today. Renew our minds today, God. So we're alert to the attack of the enemy and we can rise above it. Father, I bless your people today. Father, I pray you strengthen them in the grace of God. May they stand firm. May they stand firm and finish strong. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. 
Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org or follow us on social media.